Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Talia Kakao, who is an eating disorder dietitian. Talia joins me to discuss chewing and spitting disorder, which is a behaviour that can be associated with eating disorders, but can also be related to other mental health problems. We talk about this behaviour, why it might occur, the consequences, and also how to support yourself and a loved one in navigating this behaviour. Hello! Hi, Hannah. Nice to see you. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. I I was just thinking it's been over two years since we had since I was last on your podcast. So yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, no, I was thinking the same, and I was trying to pinpoint when we did it, um, yeah. but also like the amount that we've both done in that time yeah. is so exciting and so nice that we've both grown and developed, and we're still doing what we were, you know, doing a few years ago, which shows the success, which is really good. Yeah, that's that's definitely a really nice thing to reflect on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the reason why I reached out to you again um was because of your fantastic blog um on chewing and spitting disorder. And I think it's something that I was like maybe passively aware of. Um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe have slightly experienced it myself as a eating disorder behavior but I'd never really thought anything about it so then when I read your Mm. blog I was like wow this is amazing that you know you're putting information about it out there so I'm really excited to chat to you about that today um but before we start just in case people haven't heard of you do you want to just introduce yourself and the work that you do yeah absolutely so my name is Talia Cicchelli and I'm a specialist eating disorder dietitian here in the UK Um, So I'm the founder of TCN, which is an online um, outpatient dietetic clinic uh, where we focus on supporting people with intuitive eating and overcoming disordered eating and eating disorders. So we have a a team of dietitians that will work virtually so we can support people from most parts of the globe, which is really incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, And then within the clinic services as well, um, we do offer other things. I'm currently building a online course called Rule Breaker, um, which will be released this year. Um, and then outside of my work there, so at, you know, the website has lots of blogs, as you said, we'll, we'll talk about one of the ones that came up. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. And I also work as a therapy lead and dietitian uh, in one of London's hospitals eating disorder units. Amazing. So, you know, the breadth of knowledge that you have is absolutely insane. And honestly, like just very inspired and honoured to have you on the podcast. So thank you for mm-hmm. taking time out of your very busy schedule. That's um, so if we just, I guess, dive in to the topic of conversation today. So I guess it's there's kind of a clue in the name as to what mm-hmm. chewing and spitting disorder is. Mm-hmm. Um but do you, in your own words, want to kind of explain what that is for the listeners? Yeah, it's sort of a self-explanatory one, isn't it? But mm. it is really, it's so 
just to clarify as well, and I think we would probably have covered this anyway, is that often it's referred to as chewing and spitting disorder, but it isn't a disorder. It is Mm -hmm. a behaviour. So even in the blog, and the blog was um, written by one of the TCN dietitians, Tony, so she contributed a lot to the development of the blog, um, is that often we say disorder, but when we look at the actual finer details, it doesn't exist as a disorder in the Diagnostic Statistical Mm -hmm. Manual um, compared to eating disorder diagnoses such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder. So it is a behaviour where a person chews food. Usually that tends to be um, highly palatable or maybe a high-calorie food it's chewed and then a person spits it out. Um, So it's often a behaviour that's linked with other eating disorders or other mental health disorders such as anxiety disorders, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, anxiety, depression. Mm, Yeah. I'm really glad that you clarified that because it it is kind of um, like confusing the fact that it has the word disorder in it but then it's actually a behavior um Mm. and when so when you think about the behavior like if you were to kind of categorize it I guess would Mm. that be something you know if you think about like excessive exercise or laxative abuse you know we often refer to them as purging behaviors is that something that you would put under that or would you say it's maybe a compensatory behavior or is it kind of a blur between the two I think it's, yeah, it's definitely a bit of a blur because it, mm. it's, so in the previous version of the DSM, it was listed as part of a purging behaviour, but that's now changed. So I think amongst clinicians, there's a bit of a debate as to what chewing and spitting actually is classified as. Mm. Um, so I see it more as a not so much as a compensatory behaviour because for some people it's not used as a compensatory behaviour. If we think about a person who might have anxiety or or it is an OCD or like a, something that's ritualised, that it might be used as, you know, forming part of how someone feels in terms of safety or it, just that action of chewing helps to calm someone or as I said it might be part of a ritual so for some people it's not going to be connected to an eating disorder so that's why I think currently my sort of thoughts around that is that it's very much a behavior that can be linked to an eating disorder but it's also behavior that can be linked to other conditions and diagnoses. Hmm. This may be really naive of me um, but I guess other people listening may be thinking the same thing. But you know, maybe from experiences you've had of working with clients. So from my perspective, and obviously my perspective is from the perspective of somebody with an eating disorder with anorexia, the chewing and spitting behavior to me, and I, I guess this could also be different for different people um, based on the eating disorder, but for me, the behavior was very much around, like you were saying, highly palatable foods. So foods that I stereo, like typically in everyday life wouldn't allow myself to eat, but maybe had a craving to eat. And therefore, for me, it was very much, I put it in my mouth and I'd be like, oh my God, no, like I, I, I can't consume this, like this, you know, loads of things will happen if I do that. So I would then spit it out. 
um, for somebody with anxiety or OCD, have you had experience with clients as to, you know, you said about like the ritualistic behavior, but I'm wondering, and maybe this is because my mind is just only focuses on these sort of behaviors, but like, yeah. why would someone then spit it out if it wasn't to not consume the calories? Yeah, so if it's, so I guess in the context of an eating disorder, we would see it more so used as a way of exactly as your experience was. So majority of people that I'm supporting that are engaging in chewing and spitting, it is because they're not allowing themselves to consume either that food because there's some sort of a rule or fear associated with eating it in a more normal amount or it's fear of calories. Um, So someone might chew and spit their food as a way of still being able to enjoy the taste of the food or get that smaller amount of pleasure from that food, but then because there's fear associated with the calories, they will spit it out. Um, A lot of people who engage in the behaviour, though, may not be aware that you're still consuming and absorbing some of the nutrition and energy from the food as you're chewing it because digestion starts in the mouth. Um, So if it's outside of an eating disorder with some of the other um, conditions that we spoke about, such as an anxiety disorder, it could just be an expression, I guess, of how that person, I guess an expression of how that person maybe feels a sense of control in their life. Um, It might also be connected in some way to disordered eating but not an eating disorder because we have to remember there's an overlap there as well. So someone could present with an anxiety disorder or OCD plus disordered eating and engage in chew-spit behaviours but not meet diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder. Mm. Um, So because there's such a spectrum, I guess I can't really give a clear a clear answer um so yeah very roundabout answer is it's going to depend um but in my experience most of it would be tied to the fear of consuming calories yeah I think um as with most topics when we speak about eating disorders there is no clear-cut answer um which I have just come to accept now that I'm going to ask a question well actually it completely depends on the individual um which is you know that's the answer then that's you know I think that's really important that we're aware of that um but I was just thinking that in terms of it's I find the behavior really interesting because it's and maybe this is just my personal experience and, and you can expand on this if you've seen this in other people as well. It's almost like even worse than not eating the food in the first place because it's it's almost like, you know, giving yourself that little bit and then being like, no, you are literally not worth this so you cannot consume this food. And then there's that punishment of then having to then, you know, throw that food away or kind of, um, you know, put it in the bin but then for me as somebody that really struggles with food waste and things like that it's then another almost guilt of like okay so one I was just about to consume those calories and now I haven't you know that makes me a bad person that's the eating sort of talking obviously but then secondly you just wasted that food and like you know you know 
that is a really big thing for me as well in terms of food waste and not being worthy of of food because it will just be wasted so it kind of like doubles up even more so kind of bullying yourself rather than just not having it at all yeah I think that it can actually be in some ways more distressing for someone to engage in chewing and spitting behaviors because I don't think it's often spoken about Mm. I don't think that all professionals working in the space will ask someone about this behavior either because we tend to tick off the more common ones such as purging through vomiting purging through laxative abuse purging through compulsive and excessive exercise Mm. um but chewing and spitting is not a behavior that everyone might ask about and I think that there is a lot of shame associated Mm. with chewing and spitting behaviors as well because it's a very secretive behavior um and so yeah I think that you're you're right with that is that it can be more distressing in some ways um because you're having to potentially navigate where to find food where to discard it um if you're living with other people um so it can be extremely extremely distressing yeah absolutely and I guess whilst we talk about maybe the distress of it that's obviously quite a negative consequence of the behavior are there other kind of negative consequences linked to the behavior I guess maybe any other mental consequences or physical consequences that you've seen in patients that it's been kind of I guess it's difficult to say because I imagine this behavior often like aligns with other behaviors as well Mm. Um, yeah yeah as a as a standout though there definitely are some consequences and I think um just to add something to the to the last point we spoke about too because I think it's it's one thing for the person experiencing it to have an understanding of why they're engaging in that behavior but I think also people's support network might not have an understanding that this behavior Mm. even exists so it, it can also be quite difficult to have conversations around that Um, But in regards to consequences, so there's a a few key ones. So one is digestive issues might develop um, and that can start all the way from up the top at the very beginning of your digestive tract, which is your mouth. So if you're chewing and spitting food, especially highly palatable, high sugar foods potentially, that can long-term cause damage to your teeth and your gums. Um, And then if we think about how digestion works when we start chewing food that sends a signal to our stomach to start sort of priming the stomach getting it ready to receive food and if the stomach's then not receiving that food that's going to cause a disconnect and a bit of confusion I guess for your digestive tract Um, so when our stomach is priming for food to be received really soon that increases your acid production so some people will experience a lot of reflux Um, or they might develop stomach ulcers as a result of there then being more acid that's existing because then there's not any food for that acid to start to break down. Um, And then I think the third one too, so I sort of hinted to it earlier, was that you are still consuming calories through chewing and spitting. So sometimes people might experience weight gain and be quite confused as to where that additional energy has come from in their diet um so yeah weight gain now again some people will need to gain weight as if it's connected to an eating disorder such as anorexia 
nervosa. Um, but if someone is engaging in this behaviour and it is leading to weight gain that is above a healthy weight for them, that might be um, a more negative consequence for that person as well. And then I think that on a psychological level, it's just that preoccupation with mm. the food, the weight, distress, what am I going to do with this food, where am I going to discard it, um, how am I going to hide this from people around me. Um, so it can also then lead to maybe lying to people that love you and you care about. Um, it can then also lead to the development of food rules um, or keep someone really stuck within their eating disorder in regards to the types of foods that they're not allowing themselves to have in normal amounts and on a more frequent basis. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And I think like, you know, maybe someone's perspective would be all I'm doing is chewing a bit of food and spitting out like what's wrong with that mm -hmm. so to actually understand that there are kind of psychological and medical consequences of it I think is is really important to highlight and I guess this is a slight tangent but kind of related um I think a lot of people or maybe not I don't know um chewing gum like can be quite common in order to I guess distract from the kind of urges to eat um or you know make yourself feel like you're eating something by chewing something but then not actually having to consume calories would that have the same sort of response in terms of your kind of preparing your body for digestion by chewing therefore the acid secretion increases so would that happen by chewing gum as well it can over over consumption yeah like an excessive amount of chewing gum yes mm -hmm. yeah so chewing gum is another behavior that we see um usually it's used to suppress appetite mm -hmm. um and as you said as a as a distraction from experiencing hunger um so yes it can also cause trouble and if we're thinking about i guess the type of chewing gum now i'm, I'm being a bit biased when i say this but most people with an eating disorder will choose a sugar-free gum. But if you're having a sugar-containing normal chewing gum, again, that's a lot of sugar that's coating your teeth mm -hmm. for long periods across the day. So that can also then lead to those dental issues as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think p potentially people are going for those sugar-free, but yeah. equally it's a, a really important thing to consider about the mm – -hmm. and I think often we don't consider that, like uh, the – kind of ask, um, impact that the foods that we are having on our teeth and the kind of eating disorder behaviors mm -hmm. and the impact they can have on teeth but I think you know I've seen people with quite severe damage to their teeth and I think often you know we talk about things like IBS and kind of digestive issues but don't often focus on teeth and for something that's so visible um, I think it can cause a lot of stress to people when they then end up having dental issues as a result of their eating disorder. Yeah, and I see it mostly if a person is engaging in vomiting mm. behaviour, so purging through vomiting. Um, I've worked with people that have now got complete sets of false teeth because they've had to get their teeth removed as a result of chronic purging behaviours. Um, so I think, yeah, you're right in that it's not something that is maybe spoken about as much, but there are so many people that even listening to this episode may have experienced mm. dental issues as a result of that yeah I think it's 
it's one of those things maybe quite like chewing and spitting um that people don't talk about because it's seen as quite a shameful behavior um i think i don't know I'm very much just thinking out loud here, but when we talk about like restriction and excessive exercise, because they're behaviors that in kind of diet culture are glorified, um, I think we're in terms of in the eating disorder community, we're quite open about talking about experiences of um, excessive, excessive, excessive exercise and disordered uh, like restrictive eating. Mm. But things like, you know, self induced vomiting and, you know, chewing and spitting, I think we're still quite far away from speaking about that and I think just going back to your point there about you know family members or even kind of clinicians working with um patients might not ask the question or even be aware of the behavior because we don't talk about it and it's almost I don't know it's it makes me think about you know very secretive behaviors in eating such as binge eating um that are sort of there's so much shame that people have around it that they then don't talk about their own experiences so everybody is then in this little like box of I'm the only person because I before I read your blog I thought that it was just me I mean obviously I didn't think it was like just me and sort of like you know I created this behavior um, yeah. but I think sometimes your eating disorder can twist things like that and say you know you're special because you're doing this behavior whereas you know, nobody else has thought of this technique when actually it's it's not really something to be proud of. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, because it's something that's not well researched, um, I, I don't know the, the statistics, but mm. I imagine that it's a lot higher than what we probably think it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I would imagine so. I think yeah. like quite a lot of different behaviours in eating mm -hmm. disorders, I'd imagine that it's quite a lot higher. But I guess in terms of the fact that it's not researched and maybe not um, maybe recognised or brought up, brought up by clinicians, what would you sort of advise clinicians to do in that situation to make sure that they are kind of, you know, checking that it's something without, uh, well, I always say this, but like, obviously you can't just give somebody an idea and that's going to give them an eating mm -hmm. disorder. But equally, I think when talking about specific behaviours, I don't know, sometimes I think it it can sort of inspire thoughts in people's minds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's such a tricky one. Um, so as you said, anyone can sort of look anything up, learn from other people, learn from pro Anna, pro, et cetera, blogs mm -hmm. um, and social media accounts. So I think unless we ask these questions, we're not going to know and therefore then be able to support the people that we're working with. Um, and I personally think it's really important to ask these questions because sometimes someone might not recognise the damage that they can cause, the long-term effects, that it's actually a disordered behavior. I know that might sound like a really sort of common sense thing, um, mm -hmm. but sometimes it just takes someone else to notice that behavior or ask about it for a person to be like, oh, well, actually, it's not healthy that I'm doing that, is it? Because it can become so normalized. Um, so I think that we just need to be asking these questions um, because I think 
yes, there's a risk of asking them and potentially giving someone an idea, but the more that we avoid talking about it and making it, I guess, part of our standard questions at an assessment is that they're making them a bit taboo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, because we don't kind of hold back and say, you know, how, you know, if you look at the um, EDEQ, it's, you know, how long have you gone without, or like how many days have you gone without eating for a certain amount yeah. of hours? So you could say that that's putting a, an idea into somebody's head. Yeah. Um, Similarly but, to, are you engaging in calorie counting? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I guess as a dietitian, if somebody does come to you or, you know, you find out that they're chewing and spitting, how do you work with them to kind of move away from that behavior? Because I think, as you said, quite close to the start, like it's quite a ritualistic behavior. And I think it could almost become second nature to somebody mm-hmm. to do that. And then also, I think I see it kind of like when somebody is self-induced vomiting, I guess, in terms of when you haven't been digesting food the then discomfort of having to sit with that food in your tummy can be very very triggering so what do you do to work with clients in that instance yeah so I guess there's a few different avenues to it so one is if we're looking at the the sort of underlying rules or beliefs surrounding the foods the food or foods that a person is uh, chewing and spitting. As a dietitian, then I would be looking at supporting a person to challenge those dietary rules, um, incorporate those fear foods back into their diet in a more normal way through a graded approach, through experimentation, through lots of challenges, um, and helping a person to neutralise foods. So in moving away from the categories of good and bad, healthy, unhealthy. Um, So that will form part of building up that adequacy and introducing the foods back into the diet. Um, But then, as you said, if then there's the other side of it, which is the distress, which is the fear of weight gain um, or body changes or any other uncomfortable feelings that come around from reducing and stopping chewing and spitting behaviours, is then there would be more of a... Um, focus on that cognitive behavioral therapy, distress tolerance. So looking at, okay, well, if we make this change, what what is the thought? Can we then turn that into an action and see what the, the end result is? What's that experiment hypothesis and result? Um, so we also have to potentially look at, as a dietitian, incorporating some of that work as well. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds, I think, really good in terms of very practical to like, actually think about what happens when you don't perform the behavior, and then what comes up for you? And how can you navigate that? And I guess, with that in mind, how would you then, would it be a similar sort of approach to prevent somebody from, I guess, going from one behavior to the next? Because I can imagine that quite a lot of people might, you know, stop chewing and spitting but then move on to something else that potentially could be more damaging or even if it's not more damaging it's it's still a disordered behavior that they're engaging in um that's not letting them eat kind of Mm. to what they require yeah yeah so some people usually i see chewing and spitting behaviors in combination with other behaviors it's very rare that i would work with someone that 
is only engaging in mm. chewing and spitting without dietary restriction or other compensatory behaviours. Um, so definitely I think we'd always have to be on the lookout to see if there are other behaviours that other compensatory type behaviours that then become um, part of a person's way of, con- you know, controlling their weight or dietary intake. Um, so, yeah, I think sometimes one behaviour can can replace another, which mm. we obviously want to try and avoid. Um, so it would just be about having those discussions and keeping that dialogue open as to and also meeting the person with where they're at so that we can reduce the risk of another behaviour developing um so that we've got the right tools in place to support the person with their anxiety and their distress Mm. to try and reduce that risk yeah yeah it sounds like it's sort of very similar to if you were navigating other eating disorder behaviors Mm. in terms of you know really making sure that you've got your foundations in place and coping mechanisms in place so that you don't resort to behaviors that you know in the long term aren't going to be helpful for your recovery um I was just thinking as well you know we spoke about sort of the shame and maybe the fact that people may not be aware that it's a behavior I guess I don't know I think if I you know if if a family member or a friend saw someone engaging in this behavior and, and wasn't aware of what was going on it may be quite a shocking realization or they might find it if we're being honest maybe a bit disgusting or um you know think you know why on earth are you doing that as somebody that's supporting somebody um a loved one in recovery what would your advice be for kind of helping them to navigate this or I guess even approaching the conversation if if they've maybe found food in the bin that looks like it's been kind of spat out and stuff um to then bring up that conversation with their loved one yeah so I think it's like any conversations if a person has noticed any form any type of a behavior disordered eating behavior whether it be chewing and spitting binge eating you know I I I see it has a lot of crossover with binge eating and then that you know that shame of well I've just thrown out you know Mm. my support person or my loved one is finding empty packets in the bin or hidden around the house or they might get caught eating out of a bin. I think it's a, it's a very similar, you know, there is some some crossover in that. Um, so my advice is, is always when people are approaching these conversations is to, to approach it with without judgment because we cannot ever be fully aware of what is going on in someone else's life, especially in their own mind and what, is the battle inside a person's head when it comes to their relationship with food and body. Um, so I, I tend to say approach it with some curiosity and some kindness. So if you're starting that conversation, it might be um, I've, I've noticed X, Y, Z. So I've noticed that you're avoiding eating in front of me or I've noticed that um, I, I've, you know, I've found some bits of paper with some food in the bin. I'm just curious as to everything's okay. Is there anything that you wanted to talk to me about? Please just know that I'm not not here to judge you. I'm just worried that maybe there's something that you're really struggling with and I want to be here to to help you. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. I think it's like that with with a lot of behaviours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also having that initial conversation is always difficult, yeah. particularly for something that might be so secretive because mm-hmm. the individual, you know, might feel quite ashamed or maybe angry that you've yeah. realised what they're doing. Um, and then maybe now the behaviour is going to have to stop or there's going to be extra eyes on them. Um, so I think it can be difficult to navigate. But equally, I think if you are in the position where you've recognized that somebody's engaging in a behavior that's maybe you know not productive for their health um then you know being the person that has that conversation with them as hard as it is I think in the long run they'll really appreciate that support that you give them yeah definitely Uh, and I couldn't agree more I think any conversation in regards to a person's mental health is going to be you know, it's it's not ever going to be an easy conversation. Um, on the flip side as well, so as someone that is struggling, and I don't know if you ever had this conversation, Hannah, but one of the people that I support said that they actually just gave their mum the blog and said, like, mm. read this. You didn't know I'm doing this, but, like, this is mm. what I'm struggling with. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they said that, that that really helped them to then open up that communication channel. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is um, that's such a good piece of advice. If somebody's listening to this, thinking, you know, this is exactly what I'm doing, but I'm, you know, I have all these emotions about it, and I don't want to share what's going on, but I know that it's not good for me. Um, I certainly have done that in the past in terms of, um, you know, sharing whether it's a podcast or a blog with my loved ones and will say that this literally describes exactly how I'm mm. feeling perfectly like I can't put this into words but I just really want you to know that this is what's going on um and I guess also because we've spoken about how to support somebody with that um you know you know you're saying to them you don't have to have that awkward conversation yeah. of saying that you see me do something because I'm telling you um so I think that's a brilliant piece of advice mm. if if somebody is listening and I think also I just want to say if somebody is listening I know we've spoken about guilt and you know maybe feeling ashamed of this behavior at the end of the day I want you to know that that's kind of I'm saying that because you know I have felt ashamed of that but I'm now you know we're speaking openly about this on this podcast to help people feel less alone in that experience and to know that you know that behavior is driven by your eating disorder and I did actually see a post the other day on Instagram that was like um embarrassing things I did when I had an eating disorder Mm. and it kind of didn't sit with me very well because I was like you know that might have been embarrassing for you and like you know on reflection now that you're in recovery that may seem like an embarrassing thing but for somebody watching that that could be the thing that they're struggling with the most at that point so I guess what I'm saying is like I don't want you to feel embarrassed or ashamed if you are listening. And that's the reason we're putting this content out there to, so that you know that you're not alone. Um, but also to know that, you know, these behaviours aren't helpful long term for your recovery and there is ways to get out of them. And I think for me, kind of the past few months in my recovery, which has finally started working, which is wonderful, Um I never thought that I'd be able to move away from some behaviours that I was doing. I thought they were so ingrained in my day-to-day life. And it was just kind of like, how would I ever live without that? Um, and it's not, it's sometimes not about kind of just removing the behaviour immediately because it does 
you know provide you comfort but I think if you can try and reduce it slightly um and then continually keep reducing it slightly and for me a really good example was I used to kind of excessively exercise and my friend said to me just reduce it by 10 seconds Mm -hmm. and at the time I was like 10 seconds what are you talking about and then I tried to reduce it for 10 seconds and I couldn't so I was like okay actually maybe he's onto something and so that technique really worked for me because it meant that I didn't like I didn't have to completely lose it because it was something that was really I was really relying on but just by gently reducing it down slightly one it kind of annoyed the eating disorder enough that it meant that I could start recovery but equally I kind of didn't go from all or nothing um which I sometimes I don't think helps if you're in a position where you don't need to go from all or nothing because it it can kind of just feel too much and then you just resort straight back to the behavior because of that um kind of scariness of losing it yeah I think that's especially there's um I think as a as a behavior physical activity is one of those that for a lot of people in some ways is the most difficult because activity is part of life mm-hmm. um, and there's such an overlap between what is normal in regards to moving your body versus where the eating disorder uses that as a as a form of yeah. control so yeah I think you're right is that for a lot of behaviors some people going cold turkey and going all in works um and for others I'd say probably the majority is that gradual reduction is going to be more sustainable yeah yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. again going off on a slight tangent but it's so true about exercise and I like I've had so many like meltdowns about exercise of being like but my eating disorder is even using like you know going for a walk with my mum and at the time I was like you know how I don't want to not do this walk with my mum like but then my eating disorder is using it and then all of a sudden I realized but I could go for the walk with my mum without this compulsive nature without this voice in my head um and that wasn't the stage where I was at at this that time it was very compulsive but I think when you're in it you're like how can I ever kind of have a relationship with exercise that isn't compulsive because that's all I know um so it's yeah it's I think with that it's really about sort of like you say breaking it down and just taking it kind of one step at a time as to what feels comfortable um because I think when you do that it it's long-term change rather than kind of drastic short-term change, which I guess for some people, like you say, might work. But in my personal experience, the drastic kind of ripping the Band-Aid off has just led me running back. So Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, especially if we bring it back to chewing and spitting, I, d- mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that you can really just stop. You need to work on, on why that behaviour is existing. Mm-hmm. Um before you then can just say to someone, oh, just stop that. I think that that's yeah. not the right advice to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a, a similar response of like, oh, just eat the food. Like yeah. at the end of the day, it's not kind of the food that's the issue. It's it's not yeah. kind of, you know, spitting the food out that you're enjoying or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's the emotions behind that. It's the reasons yeah. behind that. It's the yeah. kind of, you know, what's driving me to that behavior. So I think like we were saying earlier when we were talking about jumping maybe from one behavior to another, I think if you did just cut it out and not think about the kind of psychology behind it, you're then just going to find something else because you still don't have a way of managing those emotions that you're trying to manage through the behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much, Taya. It's been absolutely lovely to speak to you. And I'm so glad that we got to speak about something that I don't think has really kind of been acknowledged or um, chatted about. So I really hope that people have found comfort in this episode. Um, where can people go? I think you've explained a little bit, but I always like to add it on to the end anyway, um, to find out more about you and the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So on Instagram, TC Nutrition, and then that will link you through to our website where we have a um, whole bunch of blogs and recipes and other resources, a few free downloads as well for you. Um, best to probably just go through the link um, because my name is difficult to spell. <laughs> so yeah, just head to the link in, in the show notes or from Instagram. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. why can't I stop if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe eating disorders are crippling illnesses but with the right support they can be recovered from we really hope you enjoyed this episode but if you require more support right now please look into charities such as first steps and beat for support or talk to someone you trust